This week on New Mexico in Focus, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham on the recreational cannabis bill she signed and on what's next. We don't need to reinvent uh, the wheel here. What we need to do is have a meaningful program that's unique to New Mexico. Plus, we celebrated Earth Day this week. Laura Paskus has a different look at how we consider the natural world. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. Despite everything happening around us, our state's new recreational cannabis law is still one of the biggest political talkers. We'll hear from two important players whom we featured on our Growing Forward podcast, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham and former Governor Gary Johnson. You can hear those interviews in full, by the way, by looking for Growing Forward wherever you get your podcasts. The line panel, our group of opinion makers, will look at the proposed merger for the state's largest electric uh, provider, PM. They'll analyze both the legacy and the new look for the New Mexico True Tourism brand. But we begin with the 2022 governor's race. Here's the line. Welcome to New Mexico in Focus. Today is Friday, April 23rd, 2021. I am your host for this podcast, Kevin McDonald, an executive director here at New Mexico PBS. We hope you had a terrific weekend and week, and we have a terrific show for you coming up. As you heard in that preview, a lot of focus this week on Earth Day as well as cannabis legalization. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now since the special session where the two big bills around that made it through after narrowly missing out in the regular session, continues to be a hot topic of conversation and also lead to a lot of questions. We wanna help to try to get people some more understanding and uh, we're gonna have some special things coming up with that and really excited about something for you later in the show around Earth Day. So we hope you will stay tuned for that. But let's kick things off in a slightly different direction with our line opinion panel for this week. We have former state Senator Diane Snyder, also joined by Merritt Allen of Vox Optima. Always love having Merritt around. And Serge Martinez from the UNM Law School. Appreciate them joining us by Zoom this week. And topic number one is going to be the governor's race next year. More names are hopping into the mix, obviously on the Republican side of things. We had some additions this week. You're going to hear some about them and what folks think it will take for any of those uh, individuals to beat uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham at the polls next year. So let's jump right into it. Don't want to waste any more time. Get to Gene Grant and the line opinion table. Sandoval County Commissioner Jay Block is the first Republican in as the New Mexico GOP looks to unseat Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. The conservative Air Force veteran and nuclear consultant announced his candidacy the last weekend. Now that a cabinet post isn't apparently in the offing for our governor, the next election is a year and a half away. That's pretty quick. Here to look at where things stand for candidates and the parties is the line opinion panel. Former state senator and line regular Diane Snyder returns. Good to see you as always. Another line regular UNM law professor Serge Martinez is back with us as well. Welcome to you, Serge. And founder of Vox Optima Public Relations, Merritt Allen, our good friend from the East Mountains, joins us as well. Now, Republicans are desperate to win this election. Diane, I want to start with you, but they don't hold any statewide offices currently. And it's not clear that there's a big name on the bench currently. What's a smart strategy for the GOP going forward in the next year and a half? Um. The thing I think you hit right on the, the secret and, and of what the problem is, is there's no one on the bench waiting. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some a little distance back. We have like, uh, I believe like um, uh, Kelly Fajardo is a very in, uh, attractive candidate to me mm -hmm. for the future. I'm not sure if she's quite ready to go statewide or not, because she's very well known in her district, which is the Las Lunas Berlin area, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure. But there, and um, and Rebecca, I'm sorry, her name went right out of my head. But there are Ms. several legislators. Rebecca Dow. Dow thank mm -hmm. you. Rebecca Dow. Mm -hmm. There are several legislators, I believe, Republican legislators that I believe have a very strong future. But I don't, I think there's been too much focus on, and this is terrible to say, but on the has-beens, on the, 
the Steve Pierce's and the John Sanchez's and the, but the thing we have to do, because we saw in the U.S. Senate race, we saw a, an unknown political figure, but a well-known individual in Mark Ronchetti mm -hmm. almost do very, very well in that Senate race against a difficult and very strong uh, opponent. So I don't think we have someone quite like that at this point. Um, I, I think that Martin CD won race, but mm -hmm. I, I, think we, I think we don't have a plan. Yeah. At least I haven't heard one. Merrick, I'm going to ask you to pick up on that interesting point there made by Senator that, you know, the fresh face theorem is a little lacking for the party. And what does the party do when, when a fresh face only has a year and a half to emerge? That's not going to happen. Uh, this is the, the cards that you have, the deck that you have. So what's the play here? I think the real question is not party unity because we've not had that for some time. And I don't think we will uh, in, in 2022. Um, and the issues that face the New Mexico Republican Party or New Mexico Republican Party candidates really reflect Republican candidates uh, everywhere in 2022. Uh, there are kind of uh, strata or layers uh, of candidates. Um, I think Trumpism uh, definitely uh, affects candidates. Mm -hmm. I would put uh, Jay Block uh, uh, squarely in what I call uh, Trump uh, mid. He's kind of with uh, Senators Hawley and Cruz. Mm -hmm. He's to the right of Steve Pierce for sure. Um, I don't think he's counting on a lot of support from the state party. Uh, he's, he's quite uh, right wing. He has only run, won local election, uh, two of those. So he's uh, fairly new on the scene. And he's got a platform and a mindset that would win a primary, but I don't think a statewide race. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it would take uh, just given the tempo in New Mexico right now, what I would consider a moderate or uh, at the most conservative, a Trump light. Um, sure. And that would be Steve Pierce or more center. Um, do those candidates really want to waste their shot in 22, 2022 or are they going to wait until 2026? And ah. I think that's the question. And that's where the Rebecca Dows, who I think is absolutely the strongest candidate we have, uh, she's won three elections. She's turned two other districts red in a in majority uh, uh, blue districts. Uh, Crystal Diamond uh, picking up John Arthur Smith's seat. Uh, Luis Terrazas picking up House District 39, which um, has almost never been Republican. That's the mining district. That's where Salt of the Earth was filmed. I mean, come right. on. That's right. You don't get more blue than that. Rebecca Dow gets things done. Uh, she works across the aisle. She's got early childhood shops. She made redistricting happen when um, it just wasn't going to. She pulled that out almost single-handedly. Uh, so uh, she she has the chops. Is she going to try with all the money that the governor's pulling in um, in 2022? Is she going to wait until 2026? I think that's the question. Mm -hmm. um, there's a list of candidates, and I think they can easily you know be put into. Uh, kind of the the the, the spectrum of uh, uh, moderate to Trump max. Uh, uh, you've got uh, mm -hmm. uh, Karen Bedoni just uh, uh, declared yesterday. She's got a video out. Uh, I think she's further into Trumpism than Jay Block. She's very very. Uh, I would say in the Lori Boebert, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene wow. category. Really. Um, so I don't think she has. Um, uh, a, a, terrific, a terrific chance. So mm -hmm. I think there will be a number of candidates in the primary. Um, and, and the question is, who wins the primary and do they go so far right that they have a chance of uh, winning the general election? Good points there. I really like that riff. Hey, Serge, you know, we see splits in party politics all the time. Democrats have their own, progressives, you know, we know that's there. Republicans, you know, nationally, we just heard from Merit about the uh, Trump factor, but here in New Mexico, there's a long been a Martinez-Pierce split with Mr. Pierce being the more conservative and now in lockstep with Mr. Trump, as we just heard. From an outsider's perspective, do you see this as a normal political evolution or is there a sign of, of trouble here for Republicans? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, anytime you're the, uh, the party who's out of power, there's, there's the risk of this, uh, you know, the circular <coughs> squad uh, set up that I'm seeing um, that, that, you know, 
I'm hearing uh, from Merritt talking about, you know, folks trying to figure out who's the more Trump, who's the least Trump, and how everyone fits in that sort of in that sort of uh, vein and um, taking shots at each other, maybe. But I think the <clears throat> excuse me, mm -hmm. you know, the 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 pull towards the center is the one that makes the most sense for a general election. And I can't imagine any sort of smart strategy that put, tries to push further away from that. But I do see, you know, the primary the primary poll that that takes folks away from that is is a real thing. And um, as mm -hmm. as we see more and more of that, uh, you know, I think I don't really know that there's a solution between what makes sense generally and what makes sense at the primary level. But mm -hmm. um, I do find it to be a really fascinating phenomenon. Let me ask, let me ask Senator about that. I mean, is there a Mitt Romney light on the horizon here in New Mexico? <laughs> I mean, there's someone that can attract <laughs> votes from across the aisle? Because you're going to have to do that to win in this state, given voter registration numbers, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think that goes back to what Merritt said, is Rebecca Dow. She has proven that she can work across the aisles and get things accomplished. I don't see it in any of the leading contenders. I, winning, uh, winning a, very, uh, a local county race is very important at the time for the county, but that's a big difference than trying to win a statewide race. Mm -hmm. A statewide race is hard. And I don't, I, I don't know whether, as was said earlier by Mary, is whether she, Rebecca's willing to give up her seat now, right. or does she want to build up a few more chops? Mm -hmm. And I think she has the potential. I see her being governor at some point, I guess is what I'd like to say. Interesting. Merritt, we're going to finish up here. Just got a minute left. Um, the idea that, you know, for Republicans, raising money is another specter out there. Can money be raised for these races? Oh, absolutely. And Rebecca is brilliant at that. And, you know, Steve Pierce is treasurer of the RNC. Mm -hmm. uh, fundraising uh, capability. The question is, who does he choose to give the money to? <laughs> How about our current governor, Serge? What do you think? Um, who took in a quarter million dollars over roughly six month period, our most recent checkpoint. Is she going to st stem the tide here from the Republican assault just through money alone? Is that going to be enough? I mean, I think she's definitely riding high and uh, I would you know, uh, of all the folks that we've talked about, I don't know who would want to jump into that ring facing that opposition. I think, uh, yeah, I think that probably would scare off a lot of people and understandably so. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. We'll have to leave that there for now. We'll hear from the governor, though in just a moment, this group is talking New Mexico true when we come back. All right, let's shift things now over to cannabis legalization here in New Mexico. You've heard me talk about it a bunch, but we are thrilled to be partnering with New Mexico Political Report and specifically Andy Lyman, who has been reporting on the medical cannabis program and the push towards legalization for a quite a while here in New Mexico. He joined up with us as a co-host along with Megan Camrick, a correspondent here, to kick off the Growing Forward podcast coming out of last year's legislative session. And uh, we want to share a couple segments with you this week from that podcast and also, of course, let you know you can hear full episodes of Growing Forward by subscribing, and you can do that wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Growing Forward Cannabis in New Mexico. And we want to kick things off with a brand new uh, episode we released this week with Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham as she talked about her involvement in getting legalization over the finish line and also how the rollout will play out. So again, here are the co-hosts, Andy Lyman, Megan Kamrick, as well as Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. The $4.3 billion acquisition of PM by Connecticut-based Avangrid, not quite sure how to pronounce that, but we'll know soon enough. That's going to go before the Public Regulation Commission next month. The company, a subsidiary of a Spanish energy giant, would also take on some $4 billion in PM debt. This week, the two companies filed an amended agreement to provide more credits to PM ratepayers over a three-year period. We're going to touch on that in a second as well as to boost investment in some economic development programs. Now, the question before the PRC and before us today is whether this is a good thing for New Mexico. And Merritt, just a simple question. Do you have a feel for this yet? Is this a good thing for us? Uh, I, I'm surprised it's taken this long. You know, I, I kind of feel like um, 
And in the Southwest, it's kind of surprising. Uh, you got El Paso Electric mm -hmm. that's, of course, is under um, acquisition right now. There, there's some holdups, but that's uh, been uh, that deal is um, been under under uh, consideration for some time. You've got Arizona uh, Public Service. You've got PNM, but uh, you know the story of regulated uh, public utilities. Uh, that it's been one of mergers and acquisition for 140 years, mm -hmm. ever since Edison first flipped a switch. So I'm surprised it's taken this long. And I almost want to say, wow, the PRC must be a real pain to deal with. And it just took this long. It's like, ah, oh, do we really want to go deal with that? Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's inevitable. Uh, I think um, it, it's um, it's a global trend. Uh, I, I think uh, the most interesting thing today, we were just saying before we went in, is uh, the latest part of the deal is, okay, we won't sell it off for at least 10 years now. Right. This, is, this is going to be just uh, a continuing vertical uh, integration in the en energy industry until um, uh, either on a global level or on a national level, there is a decision made uh, to uh, institute some antitrust legislation and uh -huh. break up. Uh, break up some of these mega firms. Oh, wow, that's interesting. We have to take that on in a little bit, not quite in this discussion. <laughs> um, Serge, you know, interesting, in public testimony, the merger, both Bernalillo County and the Attorney General's office poked at the estimate that the merger will add, add 100 jobs as the company has claimed. The county's consultant said it looked pulled out of thin air. <laughs> Does this sort of thing get enough scrutiny? I mean, they came back and sort of added to the jobs thing, but it's still, I think I agree with the commissioners. It did feel a little pulled out of thin air there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to me that sounds just as made up as a lot of the numbers that we see. This, oh, you know, and they said 100, that's not good enough. So now we're going to say 150, right. which has the same basis in reality, but is at least a bigger number. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I think that those numbers, you know, who obviously it's, you know, reading tea leaves to try to figure out how real or not real that is. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that other than it's just corporate talk. Well, what do you make of the fact that a lot of the heartburn is how much the uh, shareholders are going to make out of this deal? That's, that's probably a bigger issue than, the, well, it's a side issue to the ratepayers. What's your sense of how the score is coming for shareholders? No, absolutely. I think that's where the action is, mm -hmm. if that's the right word, in my sort of assessment of this, right? I mean, I think the, the you know, Avangrid, Avangrid, I'm with you, I don't quite know how to pronounce it, is, mm -hmm. you know, they're paying, you know, 20% over the, you know, over the actual value of PM for the very purpose of buying a captive audience uh, and you know reaping the the guaranteed returns of that. So that amount of money, that 20%, that premium, it's a real question. Who should that go to? Mm -hmm. But for me, the answer is not the shareholders, but rather the ratepayers, the people who are, you know, the source of that premium, the source of that value that the that Avangrid sees in this company. So, you know, the the investors, the mm -hmm. shareholders, they're going to get their they're going to get paid, you know, the, for the money that they put in, but the extra that 20%, that value, that's created by the regulation, the regulatory framework from the state of New Mexico and the people are paying the rates. Mm -hmm. And much much more of this should be, you know, allocated to that than what I'm hearing. Interesting point there, Senator. Good quote here from Senator uh, sorry, from Attorney General Hector Baldaris. He said, quote, I strongly support the transition of the state's largest utility to Avon Grid, a leader in clean energy, but I remain concerned that the deal results in overwhelming profit for PM. Is this where the shape of the fight is sort of stemming? I mean, you know, there's gonna be some big dough in the in the pockets of some folks here while the ratepayers are saying, well, you know, I get 50 cents off my bill for the next three years. Not quite a, a great trade for me. How do how do we how do we square that? I I think that's where uh New Mexican, the people like the attorney general and and those in the know and the and the ratepayer groups, where Joe Citizen is going to go and what mm -hmm. off my bill and it's going to come off my bill. That you know both uh, merit was the ten year uh, before they sell off. I would the commitment that they would not do seek a rate increase for five to 10 years rather than, oh, we won't sell the company mm -hmm. because 
ultimately, after the original negotiations are done, the rest of us just pay our electric bill. And I, I'm much more concerned about how they're going to go about doing it. I will say a couple of things that they put in that I think are incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, uh, so, uh, uh, hardware and expanding services out to more rural, particularly on indigenous lands. Sure. There's also a big chunk of money going up into San Juan County uh, in the Four Corners area on indigenous lands. And our audience will know and recall Close the co or close the coal mine, and so do jobs. They need some effort put into it, mm -hmm. and so I think that's a very good piece. Mm -hmm. But there again, I'm just going, okay, that's great. I got a dollar and four thirty-eight cents, I think it is, mm -hmm. a month uh, for a few, three years. But tell me when you're going to raise my rates again. And I think if it, if I see a company make that kind of commitment, and I know things change, there are like the pandemic, there are things that happen that we have no control over. Mm -hmm. But that would show us certainly a lot more good faith for me, instead of giving me a dollar and something back, mm -hmm. tell me that you're gonna keep it steady. And also just one quick point sure. on economic development, rates and utilities are an incredible piece of what companies look like look at if they're moving into the state so uh so say pnm says okay we're not going to raise your rates for five years then that might be they may do it only to residential but if we did it in the commercial areas as well then that gives us another piece in our uh pocket of what we're offering as incentives mm -hmm. to other companies to relocate. I hear you. You know, Merritt, interestingly, uh, that's 262, I believe, $2.62 uh, specifically. Yes. That's all right. And it works out, I think, nine, just under 100 bucks over the course of that time. Meanwhile, 4.3 billion is going to shareholders as a, as a um, counterpoint there. But let me ask this. The PRC is fundamentally, fundamentally changing to a, an elected board of five uh, uh, to one of appointed of three after years of high vacancy rates for jobs, the agency at the agency and scandal after scandal, voters went along with the proposed constitutional amendment. Any sense of whether that coming change played a role in the timing of this merger? That's uh, honestly something I had not thought of before, mm -hmm. um, but certainly as when you have the attorney general saying, yes, it's a good deal, if the governor supports it and she's got appointees um, on the PRC, it does seem like it would have more likelihood to go through rather than having to deal with five different um, uh, zones. Uh, yes, mm -hmm. um, that, that is uh, that is a possibility. I also uh, uh, think just the, the timing seems right. Uh, I could see though why our region would be a holdout uh, for this type of activity, along with Arizona, along with um, El Paso Electric, which is also some of the southern part of the state. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a challenging area to maintain a power grid in just because mm -hmm. of the expanse and the large uh, unpopulated areas where we've got to be running lines. So I could also see why it would take a long time for a prospective buyer to want to take on uh, uh, our network. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think the changing role of the PRC with this major transaction, certainly it's a major test. And it's I guess first the question one. is, would, That's right. go, would, the, would the deal go through before or after the change in the PRC? That's a good point there. Hey, out of time, but thanks you all for going from tourism to energy to gubernatorial politics this week. Stay healthy. I'm back in a moment with some final thoughts. Now we're going to turn to another former New Mexico governor. That is Gary Johnson. And in many ways, he was the one to set cannabis legalization in motion, albeit it was the mid-1990s when he came out and said publicly that he thought cannabis should be uh, legalized. And he took a lot of political hits, both in his time as governor, as well as later when he would run twice for president of the United States as a libertarian candidate. You're going to hear Andy Lyman from the Growing Forward team ask him about how that has stuck with him and if he feels vindication now that New Mexico has joined the ranks of other states legalizing the use of adult use 
cannabis. And again, this is just an excerpt if you want to hear the whole interview with Gary, and he is always engaging and entertaining, I can tell you that. Just go and subscribe to Growing Forward wherever you get your podcasts. But we're going to kick things right off with Andy talking to Governor Johnson about why he decided to come out publicly with his stance when he did. Can you tell us what made you at that time kind of come out publicly to, to advocate for legalization and, and what you hoped the legislature might do with that message? Well, the recognition that at that time half, and not that it is not that it's changed that much, but half of what we spend on law enforcement, the courts and the prisons is drug related. And what are we getting for that? And the recognition that this, these laws are terribly uh, discriminatory and then the notion that um, I believe that, the, and this is what I said in 1999, that I believe legalizing marijuana will lead to less uh, overall substance abuse because people are gonna find marijuana as, uh, as such a safer alternative. So it was kind of a long shot, I think at the time, but was there any part of you that hoped that maybe you could get some Republican support, maybe even Democratic support at that time in the legislature to say, hey, maybe we should take a look at this? No, Andy, there was absolutely no, uh, I mean, everybody was throwing stones, everybody, uh, Democrats, Republicans, there was, uh, you know, uh, there was talk of Im impeachment. Uh, gee, you're going to get impeached for voicing an opinion on a topic that you have, uh, you are an elected official, and aren't you supposed to get into office and do the things that you find out that uh, need doing and do them? So, no, there was no chance whatsoever that this was going to go anywhere at the time. And I, I'm, you know, I wasn't naive at the time. And I'm, uh, but at the time, um, I did say that marijuana will be legalized. There's no question about it. The question is, uh, how long will it take? You've previously said that you were an occasional consumer of cannabis. Is that still the case? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, and also my whole life is uh, health and wellness. That's what my whole life is about. I haven't had a drink in uh, 34 years, um, but I do find marijuana as a much safer alternative. And for me, marijuana is health and wellness. I think one of the offshoots of legalizing marijuana in a state where it hasn't been legal is I think a lot of people um, comply with the law and have never used marijuana because it's been illegal. I think one of the big surprises is going to be because it's legal, people are gonna try it for the first time. And I, I think the takeaway is gonna be, what have we done to this point? Because this is pleasant. This is, a, this is a good thing, this isn't a bad thing. Why do you like to use cannabis? Do you use it for medical reasons or other reasons? Well, for the same reasons that someone would have a cocktail in the evening or a couple of cocktails to take the, to take the, uh, I don't know, the edge off the day. I think I'm in that category when it comes to marijuana. And I'll also say that, you know, the stories abound uh, from people who have used marijuana and said they've had a horrible experience. How much of that had to do with the fact that it was illegal and that you had to buy it uh, through the black market. I think a lot of those stories uh, come from back, back to the fact that it was, it was criminal. And because of that, people didn't use it. And um, that's going to change. And I also applaud, I really want to applaud the governor for calling a special session on this and, and getting it done. Um, I, I think that that was, um, I think that that was terrific. I applaud the fact that it's going to be a really cheap license to uh, produce or actually sell. Uh, I know that there are warts on everything. The wart on this bill seems to be uh, putting a cap on production. Uh, boy, that's, you know, but hey, uh, this... Uh, this can be uh, remedied, this can be uh, amended in the future to take care of that issue. It's interesting you, you brought up that, that you praised uh, the current governor for doing that. Um, as, as a self-described uh, fiscal conservative, does it seem to you that the cost of the special session uh, is, is negligible when it comes to the cost of you know, legalizing this substance? 
I do believe that, Andy. I absolutely do. And that, and you know, people ask all the time, "Well, gee, there's all this revenue from, uh, uh, you know, from the taxes." Well, forget about the revenue. Just think of the savings when it comes to law enforcement, the courts, and the prisons. If the police can deal with real crime, and real crime, definitionally speaking, that's when you do harm to somebody else. If you're doing arguably just harm to yourself by using marijuana, who cares? Who really cares? Megan kind of brought this up uh, partway uh, as far as, you know, the stigma of, of using cannabis versus alcohol. You don't really see this with alcohol, but there's a, a long running stereotype that people who use cannabis are spacey or forgetful or maybe have no filter. And it seems to me you're kind of unfiltered anyway by nature. Uh, but I often hear, <laughs> hear people relate cannabis use to your comments in the news and interviews. Does it ever bother you that when these interview clips come out, people say, oh, he's just smoked too much weed? Well, uh, you know, okay, so this is where we've gotten to now. Uh, look, I, I don't wanna be a hypocrite and I never have been a hypocrite. When I ran for governor, the first time and I admitted marijuana use, there were so many that wanted to know if I'd been in drug rehab and was I remorseful for my marijuana use? Come on. At the time I said, look, I'm one of a hundred million Americans who've tried marijuana or used it, tens of millions that use it on a regular basis. You can criticize me for using it, but am I criminal? Uh, no. And then that's back to the discriminatory nature of the law to begin with. You know what? Uh, I'm caught with marijuana as a teenager growing up. I'm white. Um, I got a job. I'm going to school. I live in Albuquerque. Good chance just drive on down the road and don't do it again, as opposed to someone black uh, or of color, Hispanic, pulled over the car smells of weed. Okay, we're gonna put this guy through the ringer, and they do. And I don't wanna fault law enforcement in any of this either. These are laws that needed to be changed. And of course, that is the law that we changed. I was talking to a, a congressional candidate uh, this cycle, uh, and she said that uh, she'd been in law enforcement her entire life. Look, um, you're not running for law. You're not running for sheriff here. You're running for Congress and you're going to be put in a position to change laws that shouldn't exist, not to enforce laws that are, in fact, discriminatory and don't do any good whatsoever. Do more harm than good. OK, let's head back to the line opinion roundtable now. Uh, we hinted at it a little bit in the cannabis talk. One of the uh, arguments for legalizing would be the impact on the economy, of course. And one of the ways that might happen is in the role of tourism. And that's where we turn next news this week about a revamp, rebrand, if you will, of the marketing strategy around tourism in New Mexico. We have a long-established brand there in terms of New Mexico True and some updates to that that have caused a little bit of a stir and even some controversy. Want to dive into that a little bit and see how we get back on track with our tourism industry coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. So with that, we'll shoot right back to Gene Grant and the Line Opinion Roundtable. Since we've been talking about in two governors, let me pose this question to our line panel. Is the New Mexico True Tourism campaign the signature achievement of the Susana administration, Susana Martinez administration? Serge, it's you first. It's certainly been successful. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan. I like it. Mm -hmm. I declared myself to be New Mexico True a couple years ago and I changed my phone number to a 505 area code. And, uh, you know, that resonated with the folks around here. I really like it. I think it has been, um, has been really successful to sort of, uh, you know, highlight what makes this place unique mm -hmm. and uh, so special. I think, you know, that uh, it's uh, it's hard to know exactly what it means, I suppose, sometimes. But I think for me, like I said, mm -hmm. 
with with the knowledge that I have of, of New Mexico, it resonates with me. I like it a lot. Hey, Merritt, you know, Serge makes an interesting point. I've heard a lot of folks adopt the New, the New Mexico true statement. You know, it, it means something to some people since 2012. Is this the right time to get rid of it? Absolutely not. I mean, it's part of it's part of common slang. Right. I mean, New Mexicans use it. Uh, to make a reference to something that's only so New Mexico, you'd have to say NM true. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw a Facebook post. One of the candidates uh, for the New Mexico Democratic State Party chair put a vanity plate on her truck that is true blue. Uh, see, that's when you know when in PR world, when things start spreading on their own and start being adopted and used well, in other ways. You know, that's brand has gone viral. Um, and, and it works. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're going to spend money to reignite tourism in New Mexico, opening more sites, uh, you know, being more reasonable about outdoor activities and restrictions, mm -hmm. that's what needs to be done. Being more clear. Uh, yes, you know, yesterday's announcement about uh, green, yellow, red, that that didn't help. We were told. But we were told that wasn't going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to pause while my dog shuts That's up. That's right, because I got a beautiful question for our senator. The reason for our, the reason this is on our radar, is uh, uh, Governor Martinez's successor, Governor Lujan Grisham, of course, uh, is going to give it a refresh. The stated goal is to modernize the logo, roll out some new stories. The first one, though, I have to say, landed with a bit of a thud with quotes and clips from Georgia O'Keeffe like it being, quote, my land, end quote, and wanting to keep it to herself. The Artist Museum said those words, I'm going to read that in a, uh, in a bit, uh, sent the wrong message. And a recurring guest on this program, Christina Castro of the Three Sisters Collective, blasted it uh, to KRQE as, quote, romantic settler voyeurism. I'm curious, uh, Senator, your thoughts on that. I, I think that you have to be extremely careful when you use quotes or writings or direct references mm -hmm. to individuals. Uh, when you're featuring landscape or parks or, or events like the balloon fiesta, that is somewhat more generic. Right. And I think you have to be careful that you're not putting the wrong message. We're not just New Mexico true. We're a very diverse state and, and I say that, and I love the the program. I've always, I thought that hits it the nail on the head, and I had relatives in Texas who saw it and said, "Ooh, that's cool." Mm -hmm. And so, I think we have to be extremely careful, though, about putting out the idea that we're so far in the in back into history that we're back into colonial days mm -hmm. because we're not. We're very, very much part of the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the message we need to be sending. I think Senator just hit on something there. At some point, we have to start casting our eyes forward instead of backwards if we want to attract you know, forward-leaning people. Serge, let me read you the quote uh, from the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum. I'm still blown away by this. The Georgia O'Keeffe Museum does not support the use of Georgia O'Keeffe's quotes describing the Mexico landscape as her country or claiming that was mine. While these quotes are from the artist, it is now clear that this is the language of possession, colonization, and erasure. Wow. Such language is offensive, insulting, and insensitive. We strongly discourage the use of these problematic phrases as well as, quote, O'Keeffe country, end quote, to promote tourism or represent northern New Mexico. Man, you, get, you're, you know you're on the wrong track when, when you know, one of our most famous museums are saying, no, we don't think that's the way to go, dude. Uh, was this just a flat-out clunk here? Was just a, a, a PR miss, or can something come of this uh, that could be a little bit better? I mean, I think it was just a straight up. Let's go ahead and shoot ourselves in the foot out of the gate here. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand it was a PR company out of Texas, so maybe it's understandable why they just didn't get this. But mm -hmm. uh, it really is a missed opportunity to understand. You know, New Mexico is and has always been. You know, a uh, uh, land of, you know, lots of different cultures, well, for many years, I should say, right, mm -hmm. has been a land of different cultures uh, and different experiences and celebrating those and celebrating all that is, you know, what I think New Mexico true really is rather than than prioritizing the 
colonial voices and the colonizer voices and the idea mm -hmm. of people showing up from away and saying, this is my place, this is where, you know, um, but really celebrating the voices and experiences of the folks who have been here for a long time. And those things, that, that history, that's, you know, what's true about this place. And that is something I think would resonate with people from around the country, from, uh, from you know, the, the, the folks that we want to attract mm -hmm. rather than some idea of, oh yeah, this is where, where a fancy artist showed up and declared this to be her place, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think it's, it's, it's an absolute misstep but it also completely misses the point of what makes New Mexico such a special place and this the cultural history of this of New Mexico so you know interesting and should be attractive to mm -hmm. folks who don't know what's going on here what's going on here good point there i mentioned by the way um, uh, three sisters collective i should in fairness their quote their one of their shorter quotes it's 2021 this campaign is unacceptable <laughs> and merit the changes include adding the z symbol in the land of enchantment phrase They'll seem to make enough sense. Certainly, we, we talk about that all the time. They're on our license plates, after all. I guess the question should be, did this even need a refresh? At, at, you know, was there some market push out there saying, we don't like this. We, need to, we want to have something better. I mean, are we changing something that wasn't a failure? And why, if we are? As a PR person, nothing makes me more irritated than uh, money being spent the wrong way. And a lot of that is because I do PR for government agencies. And mm -hmm. so if you give me a dollar, I want to give you your best value for it. And, or as I say, don't make me pound your money down a rat hole. We're pounding money down a rat hole. Uh, you know, if, if we want to invest money in tourism, this is not, this is not the place to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, let me I, ask, I, but coming out of the pandemic, I could see the urge to do something. W would you agree with that? That maybe just amping up something, spending more money, just something. Right. Um, but I, I think the, the challenge is, is uh, we're, if we bring people, if we're going to bring more people to New Mexico, where are they going to go and what can they do? We don't have a really good answer there. What is it that we're selling? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Senator, open you wanna, up the, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. I just wanted to say, open up the state. If you're inviting people to come and visit and spend money and be here, you've got to have a place, as, as Merritt said, for them to stay, for mm -hmm. them to to eat, to, and, and nationally, we're, we're great on, on COVID vaccinations, but we're still one of the states with the toughest uh, restrictions on people and their participation. Mm -hmm. And you can't, maybe that's a story. Um, uh, vaccination distribution is in New Mexico true. I mean, that's a great story to tell. <laughs> now, hey, I'm, not, I'm <laughs> laughing, but not. It actually sort of no. is. So. Um, Serge, no. let me get you in here too. Um, you know, tourism, they're waiting to get back. They took a real mm -hmm. hit last year. Let's be fair here. 2020 was lousy. You know, the reporting, there are thousands of people still not working in the industry. They had to do something to goose this thing along. Was this, I have to ask again, was this the right way to do it? I mean, I, I don't think this really is going to have a huge impact. I do like the, the minimalist ethos of the new branding, right? That, that's my, my own aesthetic is minimalism. Mm -hmm. I love that, right? But aside from that, it doesn't, you know, I don't think it's new. It doesn't really, it's not a boosting or rebrand or, you know, re kickstarting this. It's much of the same uh, mm -hmm. that we've seen before, which, you know, if that's been successful, great, but it's certainly not a, here's something new. Here's, here's a new way to approach this, mm -hmm. a new logo. I, I doubt anyone even notices that it's a new logo except for us. That's an interesting point there. And I have to say, you know, just to wrap this up, if, if the idea is these ads go out to the region, Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, that drive in marketplace, do they play outside the region? Do they, you know, what are we really spending our money on here? So there's lots of questions when it comes to these kind of things. All right, we teased it off at the top of the show, and I'm so excited to bring you our next segment here on the show. Uh, there are a lot of visual elements of this as well, so I encourage you to go to our Facebook or YouTube pages or even the website, NewMexicoInFocus.org, to see this piece in all its visual glory as well. But of course, this week is Earth Day on Thursday. We celebrated that around the world. And uh, our land correspondent, Laura Paskus, took some time, took some pen to paper to jot down some thoughts about Earth Day, what it means, and how we can all think about 
what we can do to change our behaviors and patterns around climate change, but also not beat ourselves up at the same time and to bring some really sound and grounded advice for all of us that starts with a very simple piece of advice. Look up. This week, something important is happening. The Lyrids meteor shower will peak. You thought I was going to say Earth Day, right? No. You've already gotten all the emails and seen all the reminders, and you'll do what you want to do with all that. For the meteor shower, though, all you have to do is go outside and look at the sky. There's a big moon this week, and maybe you live someplace where it's not quite dark enough to see a lot of the meteors, but that's okay. You can just go outside and look up. And while you're out there staring at the sky, it's easy to feel connected to the generations before who looked up at those meteors, the remains of a comet. The first recorded sighting of this same meteor shower dates back 2,700 years. And so I think it's worth thinking about those previous generations, about the Earth they inhabited, and the choices they made along the way. Across New Mexico, we see the impacts of many of the choices that we've made as societies, as communities. In our climate-changed world right now, we face drying rivers, dropping reservoirs, forests that are no longer forests. These landscapes, they can feel disorienting when we see them, when we see how much our places have changed just in a few decades. But what happened here isn't a mystery. These places all reflect the choices that we've made. Recently, I interviewed Artemisio Romero y Carver. He talked about how scared young people can be. As they see the impacts of climate change accelerating all the time, so many of them worry they'll never live their lives as fully as you and I have. So this week, every week really, let's take some time. We all feel overwhelmed in the face of climate change or any of the environmental issues we cover on this show. But what I'm asking you to do, it's as easy as going outside to see the sky and thinking about the choices all of our various ancestors have made to bring us to this remarkable moment. This remarkable moment when we still have time, just a little, to decide what the generations to come will think of us, of you and me, when they look up and when they see the Lyrids streak across the April sky. And we will finish things off this week with the line Opinion Roundtable. And now they are talking about news of a potential merger with Public Service of New Mexico, otherwise known as PNM, with a renewable energy company. And that will come up before the PRC next month. Not sure where exactly that will go or what it will mean for ratepayers, but a big change, something you see all over the country, but has not happened here in New Mexico. So let's dive right back into the line opinion roundtable with their thoughts and perspective and reflections on that possibility. The $4.3 billion acquisition of PM by Connecticut-based Avangrid, not quite sure how to pronounce that, but we'll know soon enough. That's going to go before the Public Regulation Commission next month. The company, a subsidiary of a Spanish energy giant, would also take on some $4 billion in PM debt. This week, the two companies filed an amended agreement to provide more credits to PM ratepayers over a three-year period. We're going to touch on that in a second as well as to boost investment in some economic development programs. Now, the question before the PRC and before us today is whether this is a good thing for New Mexico. And Merritt, just a simple question. Do you have a feel for this yet? Is this a good thing for us? Uh, I, I'm surprised it's taken this long. You know, I, I kind of feel like um, and in the Southwest, it's kind of surprising. Uh, you've got El Paso Electric mm -hmm. that's of course, is under um, acquisition right now. There, there's some holdups, but that's uh, been 
uh, that deal is um, been under under uh, consideration for some time. You've got Arizona uh, Public Service, you've got PNM, but uh, you know the story of regulated uh, public utilities. Uh, that it's been one of mergers and acquisition for 140 years, mm -hmm. ever since Edison first flipped a switch. So I'm surprised it's taken this long. And I almost want to say, wow, the PRC must be a real pain to deal with. And it just took this long. It's like, ah, oh, do we really want to go deal with that? Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's inevitable. Uh, I think um, it, it's um, it's a global trend. Uh, I, I think uh, the most interesting thing today we were just saying before we went in is uh, the latest part of the deal is, okay, we won't sell it off for at least 10 years now. Right. This, is, this is going to be just uh, a continuing vertical uh, integration in the en energy industry until um, uh, either on a global level or on a national level, there is a decision made uh, to uh, institute some antitrust legislation and uh -huh. break up. Uh, break up some of these mega firms. Oh, wow. That's interesting. We have to take that on in a little bit. Not quite in this discussion. <laughs> um, Serge, you know, interesting. In public testimony, the merger, both Burnley County and the Attorney General's office poked at the estimate that the merger will add, add 100 jobs, as the company has claimed. The county's consultant said it looked pulled out of thin air. <laughs> Does this sort of thing get enough scrutiny? I mean, they came back and sort of added to the jobs thing. But it's still, I think I agree with the commissioners. It did feel a little pulled out of thin air there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to me that sounds just as made up as a lot of the numbers that we see. This, oh, you know, and they said 100, that's not good enough. So now we're going to say 150, right. which has the same basis in reality, but is at least a bigger number. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I think that those numbers, you know, who obviously it's, you know, reading tea leaves to try to figure out how real or not real that is. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that other than it's just corporate talk. Well, what do you make of the fact that a lot of the heartburn is how much the uh, shareholders are going to make out of this deal? That's, that's probably a bigger issue than the, well, it's a side issue to the ratepayers. What's your sense of how the score is coming for shareholders? No, absolutely. I think that's where the action is, mm -hmm. if that's the right word, in my sort of assessment of this, right? I mean, I think the, the you know, Avangrid, Avangrid, I'm with you, I don't quite know how to pronounce it, is, mm -hmm. you know, they're paying, you know, 20% over the, you know, over the actual value of PM for the very purpose of buying a captive audience uh, and you know reaping the the guaranteed returns of that. So that amount of money, that 20%, that premium, it's a real question. Who should that go to? Mm -hmm. But for me, the answer is not the shareholders, but rather the ratepayers, the people who are, you know, the source of that premium, the source of that value that the that Avangrid sees in this company. So, you know, the the investors, the mm -hmm. shareholders, they're going to get their they're going to get paid, you know, the, for the money that they put in, but the extra that 20%, that value, that's created by the regulation, the regulatory framework from the state of New Mexico and the people are paying the rates. Mm -hmm. And much much more of this should be, you know, allocated to that than what I'm hearing. Interesting point there, Senator. Good quote here from Senator uh, sorry, from Attorney General Hector Baldaris. He said, quote, I strongly support the transition of the state's largest utility to Avon Grid, a leader in clean energy, but I remain concerned that the deal results in overwhelming profit for PM. Is this where the shape of the fight is sort of stemming? I mean, you know, there's gonna be some big dough in the in the pockets of some folks here while the ratepayers are saying, well, you know, I get 50 cents off my bill for the next three years. Not quite a, a great trade for me. How do how do we how do we square that? I I think that's where uh New Mexican, the people like the attorney general and and those in the know and the in the ratepayer groups where Joe Citizen is going to burn what mm -hmm. off my bill and it's going to come off my bill. That you know both uh, Merritt was the ten year uh, before they sell off. I would the commitment that they would not do seek a rate increase for five to 10 years rather than, oh, we won't sell the company mm -hmm. because ultimately after the ne original negotiations are done, the rest of us just pay our electric bill. And I, I'm much more concerned about how they're going to go about doing it. 
I will say a couple of things that they put in that I think are incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, 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 hardware and expanding services out to more rural particularly on indigenous lands. There's also a big chunk of money going up into San Juan County uh, in the Four Corners area on indigenous lands. And our audience will know and recall, close the the coal mine. And so jobs, they need some effort put into it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a very good piece. Mm -hmm. But there again, I'm just going, okay, that's great. I got a dollar and for 38 cents, I think it is, mm-hmm. a month uh, for a f- three years. But tell me when you're going to r- raise my rates again. And I think if it, if I see a company make that kind of commitment, and I know things change. Sure. There are like the pandemic. There are things that happen that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. But that would show uh, certainly a lot more good faith for me instead of giving me a dollar and something back. Mm-hmm tell me that you're going to keep it steady. And also, just one quick point on economic development. Rates and utilities are an incredible piece of what companies look like, look at if they're moving into the state. So, uh, so say PNM says, okay, we're not going to raise your rates for five years. Then that might be, they may do it only to residential, but if we did it in the commercial areas as well, then that gives us another piece in our uh, pocket of what we're offering as incentives Mm -hmm. to other companies to relocate. I hear you. You know, Merritt, interestingly, uh, that's 262, I believe, $2.62 specifically. That's all right. And it works out, I think, just under 100 bucks over the course of that time. Meanwhile, 4.3 billion is going to shareholders as a a, um, counterpoint there. But let me ask this, the PRC is fundamentally, fundamentally changing to a, an elected board of five uh, uh, to one of appointed of three after years of high vacancy rates for jobs the agency at the agency and scandal after scandal. Voters went along with the proposed constitutional amendment. Any sense of whether that coming change played a role in the timing of this merger? That's uh, honestly something I had not thought of before. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, as when you have the attorney general saying, yes, it's a good deal, if the governor supports it and she's got appointees um, on the PRC, it does seem like it would have more likelihood to go through rather than having to deal with five different um, uh, zones. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. um, that, that, is, uh, that is a possibility. I also... Uh, uh, I think just the, the timing seems right. Uh, I could see though why our region would be a holdout uh, for this type of activity, along with Arizona, along with um, El Paso Electric, which is also some of the southern part of the state. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a challenging area to maintain a power grid and just Mm -hmm. because of the advance and the large uh, unpopulated areas where we've got to be running lines. So I could also see why it would take a long time for a prospective buyer to want to take on uh, uh, our network. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think the changing role of the PRC with this major transaction, certainly it's a major test. And it's I guess the question is, would, right. mm-hmm. would the deal go through before or after the change in the PRC? That's a good point there. Hey, out of time, but thanks to you all for going from tourism to energy to gubernatorial politics this week. Stay healthy. I'm back in a moment with some final thoughts. We started off the show talking elections. We're going to finish the show that way as well. Earlier this week, I want to make you aware, we uh, streamed on our Facebook page, New Mexico In Focus, a very special candidate forum in the special election to replace Deb Holland in the 1st Congressional District. That election is just a few weeks away, June 1st, although early voting is right here. And so the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative, we've had the privilege to work with them on our Senate debate last fall, amongst other things. They held a great candidate forum on Tuesday night. And uh, for those of you, especially in CD1, who are going to be voting on this, great way to hear from the candidates All of them were there, except, unfortunately, Republican Mark Moores, 
who had apparently agreed and then uh, did back out of that, but still a lot of great topics covered and a great way to get yourself informed on these candidates and this election. So I encourage you to go check that out again. Just search for New Mexico and Focus on Facebook. You'll find our Facebook page. Scroll down a little bit and you will find the video from that forum. But we want to leave you tonight with some final thoughts from Gene Grant in what is for sure an emotional week for a lot of folks after the three guilty verdicts against Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin or Chauvin. And uh, Gene um, talks about how this has become a flashpoint moment already, much as the O.J. Simpson trial did decades ago. So we will leave you with his thoughts and we will be back again next week. Uh, probably with more on that very topic as we look to hear from more people in the local community, reaction to police reform efforts uh, and race relations in our state in general. But until then, have just a wonderful weekend. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. We had a trial both in that courtroom in Minneapolis and in the court of public opinion. And we have a verdict. Three of them, in fact, in the murder trial of Derek Chauvin. The trial itself will go down as a historic long-form television event for this generation, much like the O.J. Simpson trial a generation back was must-see television. But the legacy of this trial may be, in fact, what the live coverage enabled, a deep emotional and spiritual dive for some Americans to truly appreciate the problem black men encounter on the street. What the long arc of history has to say regarding the impact of the televised trial over time remains to be seen, but it is safe to say something has shifted. A sense of understanding may have been elevated from that deep dive, perhaps even empathy, who knows? Television could be powerful that way. Rest in power, George Floyd.